Keeping it real, this is Jay. So, you want to hear some insights on movement and how you can hack it? I'm going to give you some from biology, from neuroscience, from evolutionary psychology and break it down in a way that you can use. If you're a couch potato, you're stationary, you don't have motivation, you need to get up and going and moving. Or maybe you're already a gym junkie, a runner, a cyclist, or some kind of other exercise enthusiast. There's going to be material for you to make your uh, exercise you're already doing better. Uh, Philanthropists interested in human evolution, the biology and the psychology of how everything works. There's information for you. Get ready as we're going to take a deep dive into movement hacks. If you don't know, you should. There is a high we experience from physical exertion. It's ancient. It's a mechanism that helps us persist, thrive, and socialize when movement is involved. As early as 1885, Scottish philosopher Alexander Bain described what we call the runner's high. You've all heard of that. Many of you felt it. The feeling of bliss and elation that sets in after a prolonged period of jogging. Bain likened this to a high, a spiritual experience, but others have compared it to being in love or the effects of a mind-altering drug. Me, myself, I've experienced it. I could compare it to all of them. Or none of them. Because it is special. It is something all on its own that feels wonderful. And once you experience it on a regular basis, I could even say it's almost something to get hooked on, but in a good way. There are such things as some addictions that can turn out to be good. Trust me, I know it's hard to believe. But back to what we're talking about here. Curiously, from a neurological standpoint, the drug that the runner's high comes closest to is cannabis. I mean, these are neurologists examining these chemicals in the brain that are released. Recent studies have shown... A long run greatly increases level of endocannabinoids in our brain. These are a class of chemicals and cannabis mimics the effects of them on the brain. So basically it's it's these receptors are what interact with weed when you smoke it. Makes you feel high, kills pain, makes you feel good, makes you relieve anxiety. All sorts of great stuff, you know? I mean, lessening pain, boosting your mood, all these feel-good chemicals. I mean, how could it be bad? It's also shown to raise dopamine and other neurotransmitters and endorphins. So, wow. 
Endocannabinoids also help protect us against anxiety, like I said, and depression. Okay, here's a weird little off side story here. The weight loss drug Remonabant and Remonabant, it's one of those that came and went. You'll see why. I'll spell it if you want to look it up. R-I-M-O-N-A-B-A-N-T. This weight loss drug was designed to suppress appetite by blocking endocannabinoid receptors. But instead, it brought about dramatic increase in anxiety and depression in clinical trials, leading to four suicides, and it was permanently banned. Drug companies, this shit always seems to happen with them. Conversely, one recent study showed that just 30 minutes of exercise can make people immune to the severe anxiety induced by the drug CCK4. In this study, the effect of exercise was equivalent to taking a sedative like Ativan. Ativan, A-T-I-V-A-N, if you want to check that out. This is amazing shit, what exercise can do. And that's not all. Endocannabinoids also make us more social. In one experiment conducted by researchers at the Sapienza University of Rome, people who exercised for 30 minutes before playing a social game were much more generous and cooperative than people who didn't. Initiatives like Good Gym in London harness the social energy generated by physical activity. They organize communal runs that send volunteers to do all sorts of social projects in their communities, such as visiting socially isolated elderly people. That is very nice. Luckily for those of us who'd rather eat a broomstick than run a lap around the block... The runner's high is not confined to running. I know that because I'm not a big runner and I've experienced it many times. I've experienced it running as well, but that is not my choice of physical exertion. It's proven to appear after all kinds of moderately exhausting physical activity that takes more than 20 minutes. Whether it's swimming, cycling, speed walking, okay, go on and on. Thus... The explosion of brain chemicals from prolonged exercise might be more accurately called a persistent high baby. Why would our brains make us feel so good about exhausting our bodies? That's a hell of a question. What the fuck's going on there? The latest theory traces this phenomenon back to our earliest ancestors. It's likely that the persistent high evolved to keep us hunting and gathering for longer periods of time. You're physical, you're out looking for food, you're on the hunt for a deer, you're picking berries, you're um, gathering tubers or things from the ground. This allows you to increase your endurance because you feel good, you're fighting pain, and more likely to find food and survive so you don't fucking die. Makes sense now, huh? So, evolutionary theorists say that's where it came from. Could be intelligent design. Maybe God just did it. 
But if you're an evolutionary theorist, there's the explanation for that. And the increased willingness to cooperate and share after physical exertion could also have had an evolutionary benefit. It made hunters more likely to share the spoils with the tribe. Very interesting, huh? See? Movement is... Oh, so interesting. There's so much to share with you. Stick with me because there's a lot more coming. The human brain can get hooked on exercise in a way that resembles a drug addiction. Remember I said that. But with positive outcomes. Because most drug addictions, yeah, they're not positive. Alcohol addictions, yeah, they're not positive. Yes, jabbing uh a uh, needle in your vein of heroin, not positive. Uh, you know, drinking a half gallon of vodka a day, not positive. Exercise, positive. When researchers first started studying the phenomenon of exercise dependence in the late 1960s, they ran into a big problem. No matter how much money they offered, they could not find any regular exercisers willing to see what would happen if they stopped exercising for a while? And if they did sign up and participate, participate, excuse me, they tended to cheat and lie, pretending they had not worked out when, of course, they fucking had. And I understand that. Like, if, if I was, like, forced to not work out for two months... Like somebody, you can't go to the gym for two months. I'm going to give you $10,000 for this study. I'd be all over that $10,000. Thank you. But I'd find some way to work out. I'd be doing, I mean, I'd be going to the gym where they could fucking spawn me and catch me. I'd be working out with the weights and stuff I have at the house, doing push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. I'd be stretching. I would be doing walks in the park, all sorts of stuff like that, you know, because it, 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 it all counts. It's, hey, it's movement, and movement is the hack we're talking about. The anecdote illustrates that the persistent high people get from endurance sports isn't the only way exercise can be likened to drugs because it activates our brain's reward system in similar ways to substances like cocaine and heroin, Stimulating the release of feel-good chemicals like endocannabinoids, dopamine, endorphins, and noradrenaline. Regular physical activity can be just as addictive as all of those substances. For self-described junkies of exercise, for example, missing a single workout can increase anxiety and irritability. I can vouch for that because it does bother me when I know I've got a day planned to go work out and something gets in the way. It just bothers me and there's something about my day that's always better when I know a workout's coming or especially after it and those endorphins are released. And after several missed workouts, many report signs of depression, insomnia. They also show the same attention bias as other addicts when shown images of people working out. The brain of an exercise junkie fires up in the same way as when you show cigarettes to a smoker. However, 
<laughs> there are some important ways in which exercise dependence differs from other habit-forming addictions, which is what I was trying to say earlier. First of all, it takes our brain longer to get hooked on exercise than on drugs, of course. Because the chemical changes that physical activity affect our brain are less intense and happen more slowly. Now, you stick heroin into your vein, that's instantaneous alteration of your brain chemicals. You snort cocaine, instantaneous. It's not as instantaneous as putting in your vein, but it's pretty damn close. Lots of drugs... And they're synthesized and down to a precursor that does a very specific thing. So exercise builds. As you keep doing it and doing it, it gets better and better and releases more and more of the endorphins, the feel-good stuff we've been talking about. The endocannabinoids, norepinephrine, dopamine, all these different things. It gets better the more persistent you are at sticking with it. And the reward gets better to a certain point to where it's, you know, it levels out. But you get to where you're like, after every workout, I feel this. And you're excited to go work out. Now, you don't get withdrawals from not working out like a drug addict. But like they just said in some studies, it can cause some anxiety and depression because it's something you fall in love with and it's taken away from you. Okay, so back to this. For example, mice are made exercise each day. Oh, belch. Mice who are made exercise each day for two weeks do not show symptoms of exercise addiction afterwards. But after six weeks... Here we go. Something in their brain seems to flip six weeks. And even with no one forcing or rewarding them, they're not getting a treat for it. They're not being forced onto the wheel running or doing whatever. They can hardly stop exercising. Similar studies on humans show that we tend to get hooked on exercise after exercising four times a week for six weeks. So those of you out there that can't find that magic number, here's scientific studies showing that at least four times a week, six weeks can get you into that habitual process where you find the endorphin magic in your brain that gives you the addiction to working out, the love for working out, the need for working out. To where you just want to be there. You want to keep doing it. And as with other drugs, regular getting high on physical activity slowly changes the chemical structure of your brain. But the great thing, instead of making you less sensitive to its positive effects, as happens with chemical drugs, like all the ones I named, regular exercise makes you more sensitive to all these neurochemicals that are released from the brain during exercise. This happens because exercise increases the receptors for endocannabinoids in your brain. You are actually making new connections, new endocannabinoids in your brain. 
and that makes more dopamine cells and makes more other cells and more res- it makes them all more responsive. This is why in stark contrast to drugs, the more exercise you do, the better you feel about it. It's a good addiction, people. Humans are hardwired to derive pleasure from synchronized physical activity. Now, this is an interesting point. I know y'all have seen these fitness trends come and go, but if you observe closely, you will discover that many recent exercise crazes share a similar format. They supercharge an already existing activity by adding synchronized movement and community spirit. Well, people love to be in tribes also, okay? So keep that in mind. Like Tybo, Billy Blanks, that black dude that was a badass martial artist that fucking, and he's handsome and whatever, led the class and got everybody doing that shit. And then there's P90X dude. Um, that's the, uh, fuck, can't remember his name. Anyways, uh, he's a white guy. I, I'm just going to tell everybody, uh, he ain't black, he's white, he's Mexican, whatever. Um, P90X guy uh, was the the white guy I can't remember his name but fucking very popular everybody's n- new P90X for a while maybe you don't now but anyways these were all synchronized classes where you do everybody's doing the same movements the same things there's choreography to it almost an element of dance choreography um, like boxing boxing has some choreography to it of soul cycling, which brings a social element into it, uh, almost spiritual element to the lone sport of indoor cycling. I mean, that's still a group activity where everybody is in the same room and they're all doing the same thing, but there's not really a whole lot of variation in the activity they're doing they're on a fucking bicycle pedaling but anyways since the beginning of history humans have gathered to move together first in all kinds of social pagan or religious rituals nowadays it's in group exercise classes as anthropologists did I say that right anthropology anthropology fuck that word have observed all over the world (laughs) making in unison seems to make people feel more connected to each other but also to something bigger than themselves French sociologist Emily Durkheim called the joyful self-transcendent humans can derive from moving together a collective effervescence that's a beautiful way of putting it I really like the way she said that. Synchrony seems to be a key factor in producing such collective joy. Synchrony. Being in sync. Uh, Not talking about Justin Timberlake and that band. Synchrony. In fact, synchronizing physical activity with others seems to be an ancient human reflex when we feel close to a person for example our breathing our heartbeats and 
even brain activity tend to automatically align themselves. When you're close to somebody and you can feel them very, very close to you and they're breathing and you can catch the vibration coming off of their body. You can almost feel their heart beating and your brains are linked together as you synchronize in movements and activities you're doing together. I just want to do that to kind of just give you, prove the point. Things align themselves. When you get together with somebody like that, like a workout partner in a, in a, a workout class, a yoga class, a cycle class, a Taibo class, um, a martial arts class, whatever you got a partner you work out with, you notice it. The reason why this has such a powerful effect on our psyche can be explained through a process called proprioception by which our brain senses what our body is doing in space. When we move, our body is constantly sending feedback to our brain about the movement. And when we see others performing the same movements, then we feel ourselves doing the same movements, our brain assimilates these sensations into a very satisfying perception of one wish, oneness, excuse me, and union. And there is something that our brain seems to like about symmetry, the golden ratio. You find it in architecture and human beings and design and you see it in nature. You find it right now in what I'm talking about. Satisfying yourself in the perception of oneness with another human being doing the same thing as yourself. That's symmetry. So, I mean, this kind of stuff it makes it where it's easier to connect with human beings and share and cooperate with them. That's a good quality for human beings to be able to have. The bonding effect of moving in synchrony can be demonstrated in babies as young as 14 months old. Oh, God, I don't even give a shit. I don't want to talk about fucking babies and all that. I don't know why I wrote this down. So, fuck this. I'm moving on. Transcending our individual limitations... And increasing mutual trust seems to be the main function of synchronized movements. Sorry about babies. This is probably why humans employ it in many social, religious, and military rituals. You notice that? Synchronized movements and all these different things. Social, religious, military, just to name a few. Whether it's a hunter-gatherer tribe performing a dance ritual or a college student or students in a Pilates class, synchronized movements help us leave our egos behind and bond with people that we're not even related to. 
Now, this is important, very important to me, very, very important to me, and it should be very important to you. Science has proven this. We've known this for a long time. State changes in your mind can be compelled. You can force yourself into a state change. Like, what kind of state change are you talking about, Jay? Like intensity, anger, energy, calmness, relaxation, sleep. From what? Sound. Fucking sound, dude. Like the sound of my voice right now. But the the, the sound you're getting from me right now is a sound that you're picking up on. It's going into your inner ear, radiating, bouncing around, going through your eardrum, being broken down and analyzed into your brain as knowledge. Is it useful or not? Let's keep it. Let's not. Is it entertaining? Is it not? Let's listen. Let's change the channel. You're going to keep listening because it's good. So let's talk about music. Music is a performance-enhancing drug. That's the point that I wanted to share. I love that that has been proven by science. Some exercise scientists could convincingly argue that when Ethiopian Hale Gibralsi broke the world record on the 2,000-meter race during the U.S. running competition in 1998... He was actually on a performance-enhancing drug, you steroid-using motherfucker. We know you're cheating. But they didn't know. Earlier that day, Gibraltar had managed to convince the event organizers to play his song, Scatman, during the race. Wow, that was smart. It's one of his favorite songs ever. And the song he had trained to. When he heard the familiar upbeat melody play over the giant stadium speakers, Gibraltar was able to run faster than he ever had before. It put him into another gear. And he smoked the motherfuckers and it didn't take steroids. It was in his brain. Your brain controls your body. That's why a lot of people don't understand what their body is held back by is actually your mind. It's not your body being too weak or not having enough energy. The power of music can push you beyond a physical limit. I don't know any other way to state it. Musicologist. Did you know there was a sect of people called musicologists? I did not. They have long described music as ergogenic or work enhancing. And science is finding more and more evidence to back up this claim. One recent study found that people who listen to music during their workouts consume less oxygen than those who don't. And even patients with high blood pressure last 51 seconds longer during a cardiovascular stress test when they are allowed to run on a treadmill to their favorite songs. There you go. Science to back it up. 
And that's what we want. Kostas Choreographus has made a career out of performing enhancing music. I am sorry, performance enhancing powers of music. That is what he made a career out of. Performance enhancing powers of music. His job is to curate workout playlists for some of the world's best athletes. That's his fucking job. He gets to make playlists for some of the world's best athletes for them to train to. What a job. But he's a psychologist, a trained sports psychologist. He explains that the best workout songs usually have a strong, energetic beat, a tempo between 120 to 140 beats per minute, and motivational lyrics that include words such as work, go, or run. Eminem's Till I Collapse, for instance, for instance, I'm sorry, has estimated to be the most popular workout song of all time. Till I Collapse from Eminem. It ticks all of the boxes we're talking about above. Check out Till I Collapse. I haven't ever checked it out, so I'll give it a shot, but I'm not a huge Eminem fan. He's a bad motherfucker. Writes great music. Hey, dude, nothing but love, but I don't dig your jams, bro. I can't sit around and bebop to it in the gym. It doesn't do shit for me. Sorry. Um, and uh, no offense to any Eminem fans out there. Like I just said, much respect to him. So, such positive, familiar songs have the power to deliver us an extra burst of feel-good chemicals like adrenaline, dopamine, endorphins during our workout. Upbeat melodies and inspirational lyrics can also help us frame physical discomfort in a more positive way. Booyah! Play some good music when you need to do some movement. Do some, you got to walk, you got to run, you got to go to the gym, you got to work out, you're cycling, you're in your class, your Tybo class, your martial arts, whatever. If you can put some music on, do it. Humans' deep-seated urge to move to music has been led to medical miracles. Hmm, interesting. Famous neurologist Oliver Sacks liked to tell the story of a woman whose leg was paralyzed after a complex bone fracture. Doctors believe the communication between her leg muscle and her spinal cord was cut completely. Yet when she heard her favorite Irish jig, her foot spontaneously moved. And started tapping. She shouldn't have had anything to allow her to do that. Accessing muscle memory with music therapy, the woman actually learned to walk again. And they were already writing her off. They were saying that leg's a goner. So there you go. Music is powerful. Use it as a tool. It's a powerful, powerful tool. The right playlist, it can transform your experience of exercise, of movement. When you are doing things. Now, since we're talking so much about movement, don't forget also the right playlist can be curated for studying, for focusing. 
The right playlist can be curated for going to sleep at night. There's even such thing as binaural beats and isochronic beats and tones that are modulated at the right frequency in megahertz that can help put your brain into different states. And they're only getting better at doing this scientifically. Like you can literally control your mind with sound waves. It sounds like science fiction. But God, man, you people need to take just a moment and think out there. Light is nothing but waves picked up by a receptor called an eyeball and interpreted by our brain. What we are receiving is upside down and flipped around right side up and colored by our brain by what it perceives is this color and that color and this depth perception means that and blah, blah, blah. And your ears are the same way. It goes through all these different processors in the eardrum and is then processed by the brain. I mean, almost at light speed or faster. It, it's so amazing how these different tools receive this information, break it down, give you what you need so you can make a judgment call off of it. I like it. I don't like it. I can tell this is that far away. It's, oh, this is close to me. Oh, that's red. Oh, that's black. I like this song. I hate that song. And then you can get into all the other receptors. It's almost like the world is a freaking hologram. It's all energy, vibration. I mean, look into Tesla, Nikola Tesla, if you really want to understand. But anyways, we're talking about sound at the moment so I won't, I'm getting off on a tangent let me just move on so we can stay on movement exercise can fundamentally change your perception as a tough mutter an annual obstacle marathon that now happens all over the world participants face terrifying physical obstacles with names such as arctic enema mm, that sounds great an ice cold something going up your butt, boa constrictor, or the ladder to hell, go straight and see Satan. For the final obstacle of the course, electroshock therapy. Fuck that. Participants have to run through the curtain of wires electrified with up to 10,000 volts. Why the fuck would they do it? You might ask yourself, why? Why would you subject yourself to torture? Well, facing your fears by overcoming physical challenges can completely transform your understanding of what we are capable of and become a tremendous source of empowerment. It's true. Facing your fears, diving headfirst, going into things that you never thought you could do, like... Acting the fool in a big department store. Doing something you would never do. Go skydiving if you're afraid of heights. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many different ways you can expose yourself to fear and overcome it and receive empowerment and courage from it. So, 
The self-stated goal of the people in the Tough Mudder obstacles is not to torture people, but to create challenges that encourage them to overcome common phobias of height, cold, and confined spaces, and provide them with a sense of confidence, bravery, and camaraderie because they're all doing it together. Psychologically, the key to transforming fear into courage seems to be giving subjects an element of control. When rats are shocked by an experimenter with no control over when or how long the shocks are delivered, they become helpless, traumatized, depressed. It fucks their life up. But when they are given the ability to turn the shocks off by turning a certain wheel, they will start being brave and learn to go and do so. And this builds resilience to future stress in the process. Similarly, humans grow with their challenges, adaptive fitness in Fairfax, Virginia is a gym specializing in training those with physical constraints and disabilities. That's a tough thing to live with. When trainees first come in, their trainer encourages them to set themselves a goal so high that many believe they will never achieve it. For example, when Jonah Bonilla first arrived... She had just lost the use of her legs due to an autoimmune disease called lupus. I had a friend with who that. That's fucking horrible autoimmune disease. Autoimmune diseases fucking suck. I don't care which one you get. There's lots of diseases. They pretty much all suck. She thought she would never be able to drive again. With her trainer, she set the goal of being able to throw 100 punches in 30 seconds. 100 punches in 30 seconds. Which would help her develop enough upper body strength to heave herself from her wheelchair into her car after just three months of training. Well, three months of training, Jonah was able to meet that goal. And she was able to throw the punches. She was able to get into her car. She bought a brand new fucking car. She was so excited. Since your body is constantly sending feedback to your brain, mastering an uncomfortable, impossible, seemingly physical challenge that can literally transform your sense of self... Performing a powerful feat, for example, sends a message to your brain that you are powerful. Believe me, brothers and sisters out there and everybody in between, you are powerful. You just might not know how, but you are. In this way, exercise can challenge even our most deeply held belief about ourselves. Many trainees at this facility can attest to what I just spoke about. Connecting with nature. Now that you've learned about the numerous positive effects that movement has on our mental health, would you like to know what's even better for your brain than exercise? Exercising outdoors. 
That's right, because nature is wonderful. It grounds you. It soothes your soul. It's where we are supposed to be, not in concrete fucking jungles. Nature has the power to fill us with wonder and awe, give us a sense of belonging, and make us more alert. Combined with physical activity, it has a tremendous positive effect on our mental health. For example, within just five minutes of what they call green exercise, being outdoors, people report a major positive change in their mood and outlook. There's also something science has proved called grounding the negative ion charge of the earth itself the carbon monoxide being around trees we give them oxygen or I'm sorry we give them carbon monoxide they they put off oxygen that we breathe there's a connection we have between them there's a symbiotic relationship we have with the grass with the trees with the flowers And the Earth's magnetism, like I said, the negative ions, the grounding is good for you and helps release horrible shit. Look into grounding. Grounding in nature is so good for your body. Okay, enough of that. Okay, where was I at? Humans over a long period of time have spent more time outdoors than we have in this concrete fucking jungle atmosphere that we're in now. If you don't realize, we have only been in this for, what, a couple thousand years? Two thousand years? Three thousand? Four thousand? Still, even if you go that far back, most people were constantly in touch with nature you really get out of touch with nature when you get about 500 years back that's when you started having big cities start to evolve so indeed brain scans show that our default brain state is different outdoors than it is indoors Americans now spend an average of fucking 93% of their time Indoors! Default state shows activation in the brain areas responsible for memory, language, and social interaction slightly lean towards negatively, which is why we're more likely to engage in rumination, self-criticism, or worry being stuck inside all the time. This is why you need to get outdoors. There's so many good things that science is just now starting to prove that you need to get outside for. But when we're in nature, our default brain state more closely resembles calm, disengaged state achieved by experienced meditators like Buddhists. We experience less anxiety. We are more aware of our surroundings and slip into a state researchers call soft fascination. I like that soft fascination. Psychologist Alexandra Rosada believes that these two different states of the human brain, indoors and outdoors, ruminating and mindful, correspond to two different types of cognition that were crucial to our ancestors. 
survival. The ruminating state is the outcome of the evolution of social cognition, our ability to think about other people and cooperate within small groups. The mindful state derives from foraging cognition, our ability to be alert when hunting and gathering for food. Naturally, the latter is brought our best when we are outdoors. People who feel connected to nature tend to spend more time in this foraging condition and perhaps as a consequence experience greater life satisfaction, purpose, and happiness. They are also less likely to be depressed and anxious. I believe it. The Green Gym Initiative in the UK makes use of the joy we derive from movement and nature by sending volunteers to do nature-based activities with a social focus, such as planting communities, gardens, and such. Researchers at the University of Westminster showed that after eight weeks of the program, Green Gym volunteers showed a 20% increase in their cortisol awakening response, the hormonal boost that should be happening with everybody that's a human being to get up in the morning and get going. It's often suppressed in depressed people, in people that get no interaction with nature. Okay, let's see what we have next. Enduring physical hardship trains mental strength. Okay, well that is interesting. If running a marathon isn't challenging enough for you, you can always sign up for an ultra marathon. <laughs> That's any marathon lasting over six fucking hours running. What? Though some of them can last several weeks. You know, I've done a podcast on David Goggins, and there's plenty of other amazing athletes out there. David Goggins is just one of my favorites. The Itadorad Trail Invitational, for example, includes walking, biking, and skiing through Alaskan blizzards for up to 30 days. Well, that sounds like misery. Since 1980, the number of Americans who have completed such extreme endurance feats jumped from 650 to 79,000. That's crazy. What draws people to these crazy adventures? For Sean Bearden, host of the popular podcast on ultra running. Endurance sport was a way of his... Of defeating, I'm sorry, his depression. He explains that training his body to endure such extreme physical hardship is a way to cultivate mental strength that carries over to other parts of his life, like the depression he was dealing with. For example, during the race, Bearden tries to focus on the present moment and draw strength from thinking about his loved ones, skills that have also helped him manage his depression. Endurance athletes like Bearden do not necessarily seek out their sport because they are extremely resilient, but because the sport trains them to become extremely resilient. Yes, like David Goggins. 
He did the hard shit because that's how he beat his demons in life. That's how he beat all of the shame and depression and and the bad shit in his life that he had to conquer. He did hard shit. He went into SEALs camp, became a Navy SEAL. He became an ultra marathon runner. He did chin-up challenges. He did all sorts of just unbelievably hard shit that nobody would want to do. But he did it because he was disgusted with himself. He was tired of looking in the mirror. He was tired of lying to himself and everybody else about who he was. Being a fake, being a fraud, being a sham, being ashamed. So many people carry these things. So this is what you need to look at. The history of depression, addiction, and anxiety are common among the world's top ultra runners. They do this hard shit, like David Goggins said, he took on hard shit to beat mental issues. In 2015, and let let me just stop for one second. One reason why I believe we have gotten soft as people is because life is too easy. There is nothing hard anymore. You don't have to fight for a fucking meal. There's too much food to eat. You don't have to fight for anything. Everybody's got fucking TV, got a roof over their head. Not everybody. I know if you're in a third world country, you're saying fuck you if you're listening to this. But if you're in America, I mean, if you're in Europe... More than likely, I mean, if you're uh, lots of other countries, if you're in Canada, I mean, you just, there's lots of places where you can live where you have everything, even if you're on the poorest spectrum. Life is cushy. You've got to find a way to make it hard. And lots of people end up with mental issues because life is too easy. And it's not supposed to be. You were not created as a human being to coast through life and do nothing and have everything spoon-fed to you. Okay, back to what I was saying. In 2015, researchers followed athletes competing in Yukon Arctic Ultra. They found that the athlete's ability to soldier on through extreme conditions was linked to very high levels of the hormone irisin. I-R-I-S-I-N. Irisin is best known for helping our bodies burn fat as fuel, but it also stimulates the brain's reward system, activating as a natural motivation booster and an antidepressant. Irisin in the bloodstream of participating athletes was highly elevated before the marathon and climbed even higher during it. Irisin belongs to a class of proteins called myokines, which are manufactured by our muscles during physical activities. Myokines are known to boost our physical and cognitive performance, alleviate pain, reduce depression, inflammation, and even kill cancer cells. Well, there needs to be more studies done on this then. How can we make this besides having these guys do fucking whatever crazy freaking ultra marathon super grueling tests they're doing. 
Exercising at such high intensity and volume as extreme endurance athletes can stimulate intense bursts of this myokine release. But you don't need to be an ultra runner to harness the positive powers of the hope molecule. That's what they call it. A single hour of biking is enough to release about 35 different kinds of myokines into your bloodstream. A single hour. Just biking. As you see, I'm, I'm revealing some powerful shit about movement that you need to know. We are hardwired as human beings to find happiness in movement. So, the key message, are you a human being? Fuck yeah, you are, you're listening to this. If there's any aliens listening, long live and prosper. The benefit of exercise, it extends far beyond improving your physical fucking health. It's not all it does. And it's not about looking pretty for the beach. These are not the only things, vanity and physical fitness. There's more to it. And those are both great. It's good to be confident and love the way you look. It's wonderful to be healthy and physically fit and have nice sculpted toned bodies. But what about having great mental health? What about feeling good, feeling happy, feeling complete, feeling joyful, not having a myriad of mental disorders? What about so many of the other things that I'm just spent time talking to you about? The evolutionary history of us as hunters and gatherers, our human brains are hardwired to derive happiness, meaning, a sense of belonging with other people, community, from physical activity, especially if the activity takes place to music or in nature or alongside friends, family, or even strangers. The many different brain chemicals released during exercises have been shown to reduce anxiety, depression, alleviate physical and mental symptoms of various illnesses, and make us more likely to trust and support each other and even lessen pain. So just move. Take away whatever you want from all of this. Let it inspire you, but get moving. No matter what your age is, no matter what your fitness level is, no matter what your physical constraints are, you too can move and experience joy from moving your body. You just have to find the right activity for you to do at the right dose, at the right amount of time. If going and sweating in the gym is not for you, why not plan a weekly walk in the park? Or if walking's not an option for you, then go for a swim. If you're in a wheelchair, then don't just stay in the house all day in the wheelchair. Get on the sidewalk 
Go out somewhere. Maybe you have an off-road wheelchair. I've seen them before. You can get physical exercise. You can even go to the gym in a wheelchair. I see I see plenty. There's two guys that come to my gym in a wheelchair and jump in and out of their wheelchair onto machines and, and on benches and do weightlifting. I'm so proud of them. They don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. And God, I wish I was as strong as them. Or maybe you like dancing. Find a dance class. Or go at night with your partner dancing somewhere. That's physical activity. And God, it's fun. Right? Shake that shit. Shake that ass. Shake what your mama gave you. So, anyways. You know all the amazing benefits... Movement gives you mental, physical, social. So go from here, do what you will with it, my friends. And I wish you the best. Most of this knowledge is gained from. Kelly McGonigal's book. It's called The Joy of Movement. She is obviously written a compendium in The Joy of Movement, which you can buy the book on Audible or hardcover and read it and get much more in-depth than what I have shared with you here. And this was just kind of narrowed down in a Blinkist format. So, there it is. That's what I wanted to share with you about movement because it's such an important part of my life and I just want to show you why. What are the benefits to it? Well, there's a great case for all the different things, all the reasons why you should have it involved in your lifestyle too. So I love all you motherfuckers out there in podcast land. And if you don't like being called a motherfucker, well, sorry, motherfucker. I love you anyways. And I'm glad you showed up. And I hope you get something great out of this. And I hope it motivates you. And I hope it gets you moving. And I hope you get into a karate class and kick somebody's teeth out. No, not really. Um, I hope you, <laughs> I hope you do something physical, just go for a walk, just go to the gym and just get consistent, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's stretching your routine, yoga, whether it's DDPY yoga, whether it's working out at the gym with the weights to be bodybuilding or going through one of the circuits because you're older and you need to just do a little circuit training. Or you can go run marathons or ultra marathons. You can go biking or you can do anything. There's so many physical activities. I could sit here and just keep naming and naming and naming them. Just pick one and do it because your body is not meant to be sedentary. So for the love of God, move. And like I said... I love you guys out there. Thanks for joining in. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review if you have the ability on the podcast player you are listening on. It helps other people find my podcast. And the more people that find it, the greater chance I have of success in the future of making this thing grow. Which is what I'm trying to do by providing free information to you guys. And if you enjoy this free information so much you can actually support the podcast there's always a link somewhere nearby if you found my podcast if you'll scroll into the details if you'll look around you'll find a way you can actually subscribe and if you do you can subscribe for a dollar a month that's nothing subscribe for a dollar a month I would love and appreciate it more than you would ever know You can go up to $10. Above and beyond that, email me if you want to send me a million dollars. I'll take that. Um, (laughs) It's probably not going to happen, but uh, it could. I mean, hey, stranger things have happened. So anyways, Just love you guys, just appreciate you guys, and that's why I send out these messages because I want to share some of the phenomenal things I run across in my life that can help change your life because my life has been molded by information, but knowledge from other people, so that's why I'm sharing what I got. All right, take care out there, stay moving. And I'll catch you next time when you slow down for a moment. Later, y'all. Keeping it real. Do not consider these episodes as medical advice or expertise in any area. I do deconstruct some experts and their material and deliver it to you. But please do all of this at your own risk. Contact keeping it real at gmail.com. Email me. Contact keeping it real at gmail.com.